Yeah, it's on you. You know, I know at least five guys back home who can do my job. Nobody can do yours except you. Hey there, and welcome to the latest episode of After the Credits, a new podcast in the Film School Rejects One Perfect Shot Network. I'm your host, Matthew Monagle. I am a columnist and a podcast host for Film School Rejects, and I am joined again this week by Rob Hunter. Rob, who do you write for? What do you write about? Tell me everything. Apologies to everyone that I'm back yet again, but I'm Rob Hunter. I'm with Film School Rejects. That's all I write for. That's fine. So Rob is actually, uh, we wanted to start this off right, so I asked him to participate for the first two episodes, which is great because this week we're also going to be talking about, last week we talked about The Bellico Experiment, which was sort of a violent horror type film. This week we're going to be talking about Life, uh, the new science fiction thriller directed by Daniel Espinosa, written by Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick and starring Jake Gyllenhaal, Rebecca Ferguson, and Ryan Reynolds. So let's just jump right into initial impressions. Um, We haven't seen the film, you know the format by now. What is the thing that stood out from you, uh, the first round of trailers or marketing material for this film, Rob? Um, honestly, I hate to be a broken record here, but it's, it's again, going to be the cast. The, uh, I mean, the trailers look good. Obviously, it looks like it's got a budget behind it, um, but it's, it's the cast that kind of draws you in because the story is as generic as they come. Yeah, I have. Uh, I, it's interesting because I've been looking around and kind of trying to figure out why this seems so familiar. Obviously, there's shades... <laughs> There's shades of life, uh, or of alien in life, and other classic horror films. But for me, the touch points for this seem a lot like those wave of mid '90s sci-fi horror type films, some, something like uh, Mimic and mm-hmm. Relic, which take place in museums where life forms can kind of mimic human behavior and, and uh, human physiology. And if anything, the fact that it seems to be drawing on bad, good, bad 1990s science fiction kind of does it for me. I'm, I am I started off by being very skeptical because I thought that this was a film that was going to really just try and be a knockoff of Alien. But the more stuff I see, the more it seems like it might have a little bit of that tongue-in-cheek, knows-what-it's-doing sort of thing. Um, I'm not going to give it that much credit, I mean, having not seen it yet, but I, I do think, I mean, I'm still very interested in seeing it, obviously, because, um, as you said, I mean, what it has got to offer, apparently, the 90s vibe and all that, granted with an A-list cast, is, uh, is more than enough to get my butt in a seat. Um, but as far as whether it has like whether it's going to be memorable like after you actually leave the theater, that's that's something else to be decided. I mean, something like Mimic and Relic, the ones you mentioned. Um, I mean, neither one of those are great movies. They're both good, no, solid B movies um, that you can watch, you know, again or again. But they're not ones that you're going to go to bat for typically. And I, my expectation is this one's probably going to fall into that same same realm. Yeah, the Mimic and Relic are. You're channel surfing late at night. It's on VH or it's it's on a, a cable channel. You're on the Sci-Fi Channel, and Relic is on. And you go, oh, I'll watch this for half an hour, and you end up finishing the movie. I feel like that is the best case scenario for life: is a film that you turn on the television, you see it on, and you go, oh, I'll watch a half an hour of this, and then eventually you end up finishing it. So yeah. let, let me ask you then, um, talking about track records, uh, the director and the screenwriter for so this, Daniel Espinosa, has done a couple of things before. Most notably, Safe House, another Ryan Reynolds film. Uh, Safe House, Child which I, I think is great, by the way. Oh, you love that one. Okay, yeah, tell, I, I tell, think, tell I mean, me why. 
I, I, I just think that, I mean, from the, from the directing side of it, I just think that it's just a really solid, extremely well-paced thriller um, that gets you in quick with these characters and then just starts moving and, you know, doesn't really stop until the end. And it's, it, it, it kind of, it's a very kinetic film as far as it's, it's not simply, simply thrills that have like, you know, like, like gun battles or like big stunts. There are, you know, foot chases. There are more kind of like, you know, human on human interaction as far as like fight scenes go and, um, you know, stuff, stuff like that. So it's, it's a very visually interesting and exciting film. I think that kind of just like kind, of, kind of pulls you through all the way to the end, leaves you a little bit exhilarated. Um, the plot is nothing special, but I think Espinosa mm-hmm. did some fun stuff with it to kind of create that kind of energy that too many uh you know action slash thrillers don't really have these days and that would be i i have not seen uh child 44 have you seen that one yeah and and that's why the safe house thing could end up being a fluke because child 44 is the opposite of energetic so <laughs> i i don't know where, where to fall on the espinoza train here um i mean <laughs> totally child fair. 44 is a, is a visually fine movie but there's just no real momentum to it and again he, he had a great cast for that one but there's really just not much um you're not feeling a lot of life <laughs> out of that movie oh, no, I, and, I get uh, it. yeah yeah but um and so, so i don't know except maybe he was maybe just lucked out with uh with safe house or maybe child 44 was the fluke i don't know so we'll, we'll see where he falls on this next one yeah the impression that i've got again i haven't seen child 44 but i have seen safe house and the impression that i got walking away from that film and seeing the trailers and some of the material for uh child 44 in life is that Espinosa kind of lives at that intersection of low concept and adult. So he's making, it mm-hmm. seems like he's making low concept movies, but for adults. Or if you prefer, like high concept blockbusters or mini blockbusters or something like that. So there's that combination of he's able to draw in A-list talent. Uh, obviously, Ryan Reynolds is in um, Safe House, so this is the second time they're going to be working together. He gets the big names. He delivers movies that are that have the, the bare bones structure of an interesting story. They try and talk up a little bit to their audience, but they're also a little, uh, let's say, genre uh, at the same time. So, yeah, I think they're very slick, slickly made yeah, movies. Slick I mean, is a good, slick is a good yeah, word for that. So, which is not a bad thing. I'm not using that as, in a derogatory sense. Um, so it has like an immediate visual appeal. Now, again, there's other issues beyond that, other possible you know strengths and weaknesses beyond that. But he he is a very capable filmmaker as far as you know putting it up on the screen and uh, you know drawing you in with what he's actually putting up there, putting the budget on the screen. So how about then Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick? These are guys that have made their their bones in Hollywood as sort of comedy action filmmakers or screenwriters, I'm sorry. You know, they're responsible for things like the original Zombieland movie, which was very much so a zombie movie and a movie that commented upon zombie movies. They also did G.I. Joe Retaliation, which was an action movie and a action movie that commented on other action movies. The same thing we've seen with Deadpool. But the trailers and the stuff that at least that I'm seeing for life, doesn't really hint at anything other than a more straightforward uh, action horror movie. Do you think, we got burned last week when we talked about (laughs) the potential for comedy. Do you think that life is going to be sort of a self-aware science fiction thriller, or do you think it's just going to be a very straightforward execution of of a, a good but familiar idea? Uh, I think the latter. I, I think you're going to find some humor, you know, from the script, but also kind of just fr- from this cast. I mean, Ryan Reynolds. I mean, even in serious roles, he's a bit of a wisecracker, and I think they, that'll come across. So there's going to be personality, and I think the humor, the little bit of humor that will be in the film, will, will most likely come out of that personality. Um, I, I mean, yeah, the, the, this pairing of writers, their their big movies have only been these big, you know, action 
slash comedy films. So this, if it is a you know a serious film, we're gonna have to see. Maybe it's a reverse James Gunn. <laughs> maybe to last <laughs> week. This is maybe this is them going serious. Um, I'm assuming it's a new script. I know that we mentioned previously with the James Gunn one with the Belko experiment that my my, th- my thought that he kind of pulled it out of a drawer because it's an old script. So I'm wondering if this is a new one for these guys. And the reason I say that is because it does seem so generic in its setup and in its plot from what we can tell from the trailers and what we you know have read about it. Um, that I wonder if it was a kind of basic script they had written before and then now they're kind of cashing in on the cachet by getting it produced. So uh, we'll, we'll see. I, I expect it'll be a little bit of humor, but again, mostly just you know from the character interactions. Yeah, and I think that there is something to be said for you know, taking the opportunity, you're at the height of your power now. So if this is something that they've wanted to make and it's something they couldn't make before, um, I try not to read too much into the backstory of films before I see them because that you, you end up weighing uh, that's the entire down point of this segment, Matt. No, I'm telling you, like I don't need to know how many years a screenwriter struggled to make a film because to me, my goal is to judge what's on the screen. You know, I don't oh, care yeah, if this no, is something that, that I agree with. Exactly. So. This whether this is a new film that they spent a lot of time working on, or if this is something they've been trying to get made for years, and Deadpool was their uh, their springboard in order to get this movie made. I'm, that that to me is is, is noise. Uh, I don't really care one way or the other going in, See, but I, it does it does it does present an interesting scenario because they do have for the type of film that this is, they do have a really good budget according to some of the early releases here. It's it's fifty eight million, but fifty eight million with two of the biggest names in Hollywood, one of the quickest rising female action stars in Hollywood. There's some effort here. It's a, it's a, it, is a, it is a movie that is not going to be cheap. I, again, I want to say slick. You're right about that. This looks like it's going to be a very slick film. Yeah. Um, to, to that point, though, I, I, would, I think that, especially since we're in kind of talking about the movie before we've seen it, we're, we are basing it off of what we've seen from the director before, what we've seen from the writers before, and what we've seen in this genre before. So I think there is, for me anyways, some relevance to whether this is you know something crafted by writers um, post the things that we're talking about, the Deadpool or or the Zombieland, or right. if it's something that you know m- maybe it's something that they they'd written they couldn't sell because it was generic as hell. But then with that success, they're able to then kind of like you know make a quick sale off of it. I mean I don't know as I would ever find you know be able to discover this information. No one's going to necessarily go walk around sharing it. But right. it's interesting for me to theorize about it because if that's the case, then you know, for, for me, it explains it. Okay, well, this is how this is getting made now because, again, they they've you know they're riding on the success of their current stuff, whereas this is something that couldn't sell on its own merits previously. Is again, I'm I'm talking out my ass here. I understand that, but but I think that for me, anyways, in trying to like preview films and look at films before having actually seen them, as far as like evaluating them, to me, I think it's kind of relevant because I, I think that if, if something is fresh, I'm going to look at it with you know different uh, expectations than if it's something that again was pulled out of a drawer from you know a decade ago. We've reached the point in the preview section where we have to give our numerical scores. So based on everything that we've talked about, Rob, scale of one to five, I know, I know you're going to give me a half number because that's how you roll. What is, uh, what is your, what is your pre, uh, before the credits uh, grade for this film? Well, as you know, the lowest grade I can give for a film that I expect to be okay, but then never really pull me back to watch a second time is a 2.5. So my gut tells me this is going to be a 2.5. It's lower than I was expecting, but I can... I, all right, okay. I am, uh, I think... No, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, so to, just to be clear, to me, a 2.5 isn't, isn't bad or negative. That's the right. lowest... My lowest positive score is a 
and my expectation is this will be a movie that entertains me for you know 100 minutes however long it is um mildly so perhaps but still i'm i'm kind of engaged in the film and then once the credits roll i'm going to get up and slowly start to forget about it and you know never really draw back to it again okay i'm going i'm going to give it i'm going to i'm going to give it a i'm going to give it a three i want to give it a 3.5 because i like the cast i like the writers i think it looks sleek but at the end of the day there's just something about the way this film was advertised that suggests the studio doesn't have a ton of faith in it. Uh, and that's something that's an, it's a hard thing to pin down. It's sort of an intangible thing that you only get after you spend a lot of time watching trailers and things like that. But there's none of the really high-touch um, creativity that you think when, when Hollywood really wants to put some, some effort and some money behind a film. This has been very, very kind of paint-by-numbers. A trailer, another trailer, some clips, some talk shows, done and done. So... If they don't have faith in this, or if, it, if they are not treating this as if this has the potential to be a special film, I'm going to say that all of the pieces are there, but I'm, my sort of generic watch it and walk away movie is, is a three. So I'm, I'm going to, I'll match your logic there, but I will give it a slightly higher score because I'm a bit more of an optimistic person. All right, Rob, any last thoughts before we jump into it? Uh, no, I'm... I'm gonna go see a movie and, and hopefully this time my number goes up and not down like it did last week okay well then join us in a couple of seconds when we watch the movie that wikipedia says not to be confused with the eddie murphy martin lawrence comedy life we'll see you soon Okay, we're back. We've both seen life and we're ready to talk about it. So as a reminder, before we go into this part of the podcast, we are going to be discussing the movie with full spoilers. So if you haven't seen it yet, this is a good point to stop, walk away, go see the movie. If you don't care or if you've already seen it, let's talk about life. So life is, as the trailers kind of suggest, it is a film about a group of scientists at the International Space Station who are trying to recover and successfully recover a satellite from the planet Mars. On that satellite, they find a microscopic life form that they then, because they've never seen a horror movie in their lives, proceed to grow to the size of a, oh, it's a good size comparison, Rob, a wombat, I suppose. Probably like a, like a Doberman Pinscher. Yeah, like a, okay, like a good Doberman Pinscher side. And then all hell breaks loose and a bunch of people die. So let's start at the very, the, the, the big picture kind of thing. Rob, what are your initial impressions uh, about life? What'd you think? Um, that it was pretty much exactly what I thought it would be and also a little bit better than I had hoped it would be. I know we'd said going in, the word that came to mind repeatedly was sleek. We thought this was going to be a, a sleek movie. Did that, did that uh, play out the way you expected? Yeah, uh, Espinosa is a slick director. He, he, he makes movies that are just are, are stylish and kind of have good momentum to them and you know, look good, feel good. Whether they are empty or not is another issue, but they, the, you know, the Safe House one is the one we're mostly referring to. It just is a, a really slick thriller, well-made thriller. Um, and so that was kind of what we were hoping for here, at least what I was hoping for. And I think that that follows through. He, he delivered on that. He kind of moved that energy into you know the sci-fi horror realm. Um, and then script is, um, you know, basic and again, what we expected. It's, yeah, there is a script. It's present. 
<laughs> it is there. They're speaking words from the page. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so there's nothing new to really to really to any of that. Um, so they don't kind of reinvent the wheel or anything approaching a wheel with this movie. But that said, they take this basic premise that we've seen a hundred times before, and I, th- I think they deliver just a really solid, uh, exciting, suspenseful movie with you know strong actors across the board. Um, there's no surprises in the general sense of, like I said, of the, of the story, but I mean, I was never, I was never bored. I was constantly kind of engaged with it. Uh, it said it was surprisingly suspenseful at times, the various beats of it. So I think that he delivered the slick sci-fi horror thriller. Yeah. So let's talk about the surprises because I think that's as good a place to start. We're going to talk about the ending of, of the film a little later, which um, I think everybody that sees the film has to agree is sort of its strong point, but. Going in, I think that the thing that surprised me the most about that first 15 minutes and almost made a promise that it couldn't deliver on was when the first person to die is Ryan Reynolds' character. Um, so at that point, you which, know, you which think, if you recall, I, I called, I, I said did, last last time I said it's either going to be him or Gyllenhaal. One of them will be dead in the first act. <laughs> that was that was a good guess by our own Rob Hunter. Uh, but the thing about that is, so the script for these type of films. If you've seen enough of them, you go in and you can kind of expect to predict the order in which the characters die. So when Ryan Reynolds dies first, as the most charismatic character in the cast, as um, since you know both the director and the screenwriters have worked with him before, probably very funny to to the group of them planning this out as well. But you think, oh wow, this is a movie that's not afraid to zig and zag. He features prominently on the advertising. He is what I, in my own world, call an executive decision when somebody has a top billing and dies in <laughs> the movie. Thank you, Steven Seagal. Um, but from that point on, it, it is an interesting turning point for the movie as a whole because while it's never bad, from that point on, it seems like it exhausted its promise of uh, unpredictable and creative storytelling. And the rest of the movie is just a little play-by-numbers. And from... After Ryan Reynolds is dead, I felt like the order that you would have predicted the characters to die in is absolutely the order that they would have died in, minus him. From then on, I I, I knew what was going to happen before it did happen. Did you have the same experience? Oh, I, I, I probably a little lesser because I, I think that the even him included it was kind of a given. Like I said, I mean, I, I kind of felt even before I saw the movie that he would be going down, him or, or Gyllenhaal. And as the movie starts and you get kind of the breakdown of the characters... I think it became clear that he would be one of the first ones to go. Um, the only reason I wouldn't have put him in the exact first is you always think that the first um, person, the scientist, you know, actually interacting with the alien is going to be the first one to kind of bite the dust. Um, and so the fact that he gets wounded but is still kept alive for a lot longer um, kind of messed with the order a little bit. But otherwise, I mean, I, I thought I felt it was kind of just kind of a, a by the numbers, you know, tick, ticking him off one by one. Um, as we pretty much expected, including Reynolds. But I didn't think that it was a bad thing because, I mean, the entirety right. of the film, from the very you know basic setup of the plot to the characters themselves, oh, look, you know, this one's got, you know, a, a newborn back at home. Well, you know he's dead. You know, this guy <laughs> over here is, is kind of, I mean, you, you can you can kind of break these things, people, down as far as, like, you know, again, characters we've seen, you know, many, many times before. Um, and story-wise, again, so nothing here was really new, Um but, I think all all it was missing was for one of the characters to go. Oh man, I get to go back to Earth tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, something even even more silly and dramatic. Um, right. But I mean, but even with that, I mean, just by the numbers presentation across the board, I, I again, I am, I'm going to say that it's still just a solidly entertaining movie. So let's talk about Daniel Espinosa, the director on this, because this is a this is a movie that cost fifty eight million dollars to make, which which is great by the way, because that which, which is, seems is, like yeah. 
which seems like an, in, in the abstract, that's certainly not an inconsequential amount of money for a summer movie, maybe a little lower than you'd expect. Right. But if you were to sit down and watch Life, not knowing its budget, you would think that this is a hundred, a hundred and fifty million dollar film because it looks incredible. Yeah, no, it, it looks fantastic across the board, and I do think too that that's this is kind of like the it's at the high end of the, of this you know, you know middling sweet spot that Hollywood doesn't typically like to fund anymore of these movies that you know they either want to go small or make you know a quote unquote blockbuster and have something that's budgeted like at one fifty or higher. So right. I like when they actually will deliver a genre picture or whatever like a big movie in that you know thirty to say seventy or whatever million dollar range. Um, it's a, I think it's a more responsible range, <laughs> but yeah, it definitely looks like every every dollar is up on screen, whether it be like in the casting or in the effects. Um, I mean, even just the, the you know the, the visual effects of the space uh, aspect of it are great, but also the creature effect is I, I think top notch as well. Um, a little a little um, reminiscent of a couple other you know creatures we've seen elsewhere, but I think still becomes its own kind of fresh creation and looks incredible throughout. So, see, I, I have to disagree with you on that front because. There was a lot in that film that worked for me, but I actually thought the creature design was probably the weakest component of it. Uh, I'm, but I don't have an easy answer as to what might have worked. I just know that when I think back on the iconic uh, space aliens, the iconic characters in these science fiction horror films, Calvin is not going to, in, in my mind, be one of them. Uh, he's sort of just like a space butterfly, I guess, is the best way to put it. it very like a space squid kind of thing. And again, I don't, I don't know what the answer is be, and maybe... When you watch these movies, you you really just have H.R. Geiger's creature design stuck in your head, and you want something that's creepy and like definitively scary. But I did find myself at times wondering if this was of some binder somewhere full of a hundred different artists' sketches that they had to choose from. Why this was the one that they went for? Because it isn't. It, it is. It's very. Um, it's very reminis- reminiscent of marine life, but not. Uh, not. Something I wasn't expecting, not something alien. Oh, I, I think I, I disagree. I, th- I think it's it, it's clear visual, uh, you know, through line is, is from uh, Cameron's uh, The Abyss, you know, mm-hmm. th- those kind of like angelic butterfly like uh, underwater aliens, but obviously, you know, smaller and it's, it's more amorphous because you see it kind of grow, you know, from this cellular being into, into this, uh, you know, creature again, dog sized creature eventually. Um, Doberman Yeah, Doberman size. Um, but I think it had more than enough alien look to it, and I kind of like that too. Is that I mean, as much as I love you know the actual uh, alien from from uh, Ridley Scott's movie, it is you know ultimately a guy in a suit, you know, a bipedal creation, you know, walking around with, with a tail, granted, but still. Um, so I kind of like that this actually feels and looks um, has the presence of something that's more alien, as opposed to again a, a two-legged, two-armed, you know, monster coming at me, which I still love. But in this sense, I think it works better and does create more of an otherworldly um, kind of effect. And again, and then the visual effects behind it, you know, supported that and made it something that it felt like it was, you know, believable and actually in the presence of, of the room and you know, interacting with the characters. So from the design to the actual execution, I, I was fully on board with it. Yeah, and I found myself, for me, the parts of the movie that really stood out the most. Actually, one part of the movie that stood out the most didn't even have Calvin at all. And that was the first, uh, I think, the first 10 minutes of the film. And the conceit of the beginning of life um, and sort of the the brilliance, I think, of what Daniel Espinosa does with this film is the movie jumps right into the process where they are, the crew who's been training for this moment are in the middle of recovering the satellite that's been blown off trajectory. And they have one of those one in a million chances to grab it as it flies by the space station. Um, But the interesting thing about that is... 
yes, it's sort of done as one take, although there's a lot of, uh, you know, edits hidden and cuts and things like that. But the idea is just that all you see is people responding to a crisis and you don't actually see the crisis itself. There's one character that's out on the space dock and is actually the one that's manipulating the robotic arm and trying to cash this thing. And that, I think, it's always, it's always tough for me when a movie has its most interesting visual content in the first 10 minutes because then it can only go down from there. It's a reason why, as a tangent, I'm not a huge fan of uh, Drive because I think that Drive actually has the most interesting information, visual information in the first 10 minutes of that movie. And to a certain extent, life was the same way for me. I liked what it did in those first 10 minutes so much that by the time the creature showed up, I went, well, okay, so we're this is a little bit more conventional, a little bit more what, I, what I'm used to from a horror movie. But where was that, where was that hidden content? Where was that um, denying the audience information that I really liked? Well, I think that, I mean, it will, will not surprise you that I'm going to disagree with you. The, um, I, I, I do think that it was this very strong opening because, I mean, with, with that kind of pseudo single shot, in addition to letting this, you know, the suspense and, uh, you know, the, uh, the tension of this kind of unknown situation build, it's kind of dropped us right into the middle of it. Which I think worked really well because again we kind of like pick it up as we go through. But the strength mm-hmm. of it, I think, was that move through the entirety of the space station. Because since obviously this is where we're going to be spending the rest of the movie, this single shot, you know, relatively speaking, does a great job of kind of introducing us to all the nooks and crannies, you know, the, the move between them all, the interior, the exterior. So we get a complete sense of you know of you know for lack of a better term, the world that, that our characters are going to be in for the next you know hundred minutes or however long the movie was. Um, so for me, I think it, I mean yes, it was strong and strong opening it, but I was still, if anything, it enhanced what came after by again setting us up strongly with with this world that we're going to be in, with these characters dealing with the situation. So we're kind of seeing them all at play in this world what we're going to be in for the next you know for the next while. So it sets it up and then is able to then execute the movie after that, which again was generic in lots and lots of ways, but after that strong shot we're kind of ready, we're part of this world now, we're part of these characters, and we're ready to go. So I think it does its job really well. Okay. In so many of these types of films, and maybe this is just the cliche that's been picked up because of Ridley Scott and Aliens, or Alien, you end up with a the character that is working at odds against everyone else. Be yeah. it they have information that other people don't, be it they go mad with power immediately. You are hard-pressed to find one of these science fiction uh, hybrid horror films where one person isn't the secret alien or the secret... Uh, government official or the secret or the, corporate or the corporation, person. like lacking. Yeah, I was always, always a corporation. Yeah, I was waiting for a reveal that because they kept mentioning the what was it, the organization or something they kept mentioning. Um, right. It was kind of running things, and I kept waiting. And then when the other ship started to approach, I was like, okay, here they come to collect their sample, you know. <laughs> so I kept waiting for that angle, and it was never there. It was just these six people trying to stop this creature. So that was, that was definitely a change from the norm. It's actually surprisingly refreshing to watch a movie where each character is working together whether it works out or not obviously this movie it doesn't but you have basically a cast of six characters and by my count four of them uh, in one form or another sacrifice their lives so that the other survivors could live and so you don't have that one person who turns against the group you don't have the one person who acts selfishly there's a sense of teamwork here there's a sense of mutual respect and understanding between colleagues that if nothing else, that elevates this movie above its peers because every every one of these films, typically you get 10 minutes in and these people who have been living together for so long, they all end up hating each other. So it's nice to see, it's nice to see the family element played to perfection in a movie like this. And it's nice to see characters who don't panic or immediately try and kill someone as soon as uh, shit breaks loose. Like, yeah, it's, it's there a nice was no con- 
yeah, there was no conflict against one another or against some other human element. If, if anything, it was like against you know their own abilities, um, and then obviously against you know, all of them against this, this creature. So yeah, it was definitely a refreshing change from the norm. You know, for once we watch one of these films and the message isn't "What if man is the real monster after all?" It's like <laughs> no, some, sometimes monsters are just the monsters, and that's pretty yeah. okay. Yeah. So we danced we danced around a little bit, Rob. Let's end um, our discussion of life by talking about the ending. Uh, for those of you that don't care, because those of you that seen it know what we're talking about. For those of you that don't care, the film ends with Rebecca Ferguson's character and Jake Gyllenhaal's character escaping in two different pods. Gyllenhaal has trapped the creature in his and is blasting out into deep space. Rebecca Ferguson is going into re-entry in the planet. And the big reveal at the end of the film is the life capsule on planet Earth opens up and Jake Gyllenhaal and the alien are trapped on Earth, which means the alien is going to wipe us all out. Rebecca Ferguson is careening off into the vastness of space. Well, she will surely suffocate and die on her own. It's a super bleak fucking ending I know, for, I um, for what is in essence a summer movie. What did you What did you think? I, I, how, how did I, you, I, I do think that it kind of tipped its hand too early because it's it's like about like a, what like a five minute sequence or so where they are both launching off in their escape pods, and there's a mm-hmm. brief shot where they one they kind of you know reference that okay I'm gonna go here you're gonna go there and so you know everybody's gonna be happy. Um, but then two, there's a brief shot where they kind of, you know, collide with each other. And so right from there, I was like, okay, well, we know what's going to happen here. We know that he's going down to earth and she's getting knocked off into space and they kind of milk it for the next five minutes. But even though I felt like I knew that that was going to happen, it's done really well because it really still sucks you into, you know, her, you know, the adrenaline building as she's, you know, heading, heading down and towards earth and through the atmosphere. Um, also his, you know, cause he's basically having to fend this creature off inside his little pod there. Um, mm-hmm. And so you're seeing these two separate things go away. And even if, again, I, even though I felt that I knew that, you know, they were going to pull a switcheroo on us, I was still really engaged by their own individual little battles. And then once it actually showed the reveal down there, and you've got Jake Gyllenhaal basically just like completely almost destroyed by this alien and just begging this fisherman, you know, no, 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 open it. I was, I was smiling. I was grinning uh, ear to ear. I, I love the, the bleakness. Um, not always, it doesn't always work, but I think here it worked really well, especially when you call your movie life and you're ending it with a confirmation that all life is about to, all human life is about to end. Yeah. And unfortunately for those that were paying attention, that does not make it a uh, prequel to Venom. It absolutely does not. It's, I, I appreciate a good rumor as much as the rest of us, but you know what, um, Jacob Hall, who's a, another writer on Twitter that we both know said at one point, I think that this was an ending for horror fans, but not necessarily an ending for, for audiences in general. And I can't really, I can't argue with that. The people, I think it's going to, I think because it's different, it's going to hit well with everyone. I think every audience member is going to like seeing something different for the same reason that they like seeing something like Deadpool, which is by the same screenwriters. But this is just going to, this is going to be the, it's not no coincidence that Rob Hunter like loved the shit out of that ending because the people that watch and consume a lot of these movies, those are the ones that are going to be really thrilled by that last turn. So uh, I, do th- I mean, have... it's, it's it's a sci-fi horror movie. I mean, so I think that it, it, it it's not like it's a switch, you know, it's not like cheating at all with its end, you know, kind of surprising and shifting gears at all. It is a sci-fi horror movie. It is showing the kind of like the, the, the misery and the danger and the horror of the situation and ending on that note. I mean, who knows? Maybe humanity can work together and we'll be able to stop this creature. You know, you can think about it optimistically. I, I prefer right. to look at it realistically as, you know, we're fucked and it's over because that's <laughs> where it would go from there. But um, I don't know. I, I think I think most audiences will be okay with that ending because they're going to, again, enjoy the actual high-energy ride of the movie itself. 
and with that ending, it kind of is going to leave them going, you know, no, but it's, it's kind of a good, um, you know, exaltation because again, it's after this long ride, um, exciting, suspenseful, you know, you're, just, you know, nail biting down to the finish and then to get that little bit, it's just, I, I just think it's just really well done. And even though they're not going to be thrilled, you know, that, that, that Rebecca Ferguson is now floating and slowly dying in space, I think they're going to be happy enough with that killer ending. So before we give it our final scores, uh, I like to think of movies in terms of companion pieces. You know, cinema's a feast. What would you pair this with? What wine, what second film, new, old, animated, live action, whatever, would you watch or did you want to watch Afterlife? Uh, well, two. I'm going to pick two movies because that's just how I roll. So one, right. I'm going to go with The Abyss, um, because the, mostly because of the character design. Um, but also, again, that was dealing with the aliens and just dealing with the crew, dealing with the aliens. Now, that one's more... You know, peaceful and, and you know not not a horror movie, obviously, but I think mm-hmm. that that's a good one with it. But the second one is again, and strictly because of the creature design, because I do think that the creature in life, to me, and I, I kind of described it as a mix between you know the, the the underwater angels in the abyss, and if you've seen Peter Jackson's Dead Alive, one of the one of the moments in the movie is a guy has been uh, you know torn apart and disemboweled, and his uh, his, you know, everything from his like his, his entire inner workings from like his kidney to his like intestines to his bowels to his you know sphincter, basically are animated, <laughs> and they go and look at themselves in the mirror. Anyways, the important takeaway is that because of the kidneys and such, it looks like a little creature with kind of these wings, and so it very much resembles the creature in life. And so I'm going to say a double feature of the abyss and dead alive. Those would be a natural programming selection for any movie theater across the country. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go. I'm, I'm actually gonna go a slightly different direction. I'm going to say um, a movie called Red Planet, which you've all probably seen at some point and completely forgot about. Uh, I'm a big Val Kilmer fan, and it's another movie about life. Who? Listen, we'll do a whole podcast on him at one point. I don't want to take time away from here, but he's amazing. Uh, but it's another movie about Mars and life on Mars and potentially dangerous life on Mars. It's, a, it's an interesting scenario. I'm a big fan of movies where there are directors who, have, uh, for whatever reason, either have not done a lot or that was sort of their one shot. Um, it was an $80 million film in 2000, which means that it was probably about a $600 million film in 2016. I'm not an economist. I don't know the math on that, but that feels right. It's a very expensive movie. It flopped hardcore, but it's still got an interesting cast. Uh, Tom, Tom Sizemore, Carrie Ann Moss, Val Kilmer, Terrence Stamp, a few other actors in there as well. So that would be my recommendation since this movie was sort of a uh, B movie executed with A aspirations. I think Red Planet is very much so a B movie. Is that the De Palma one? That is not the De Palma one. That is uh, Mission to Mars. This one is is the one with the killer robot, if you remember that, uh, that stalks Val Kilmer on the planet. Okay. Yeah, that doesn't ring a bell at all. But it's a good film. (laughs) It it is a good pulpy B uh, action sci-fi horror type movie, so... Check that one out if you need a, a nice little companion piece for this. Rob, what's your what's your final score for life? I'm uh, kind of torn. It's uh, my prediction going in was a two point five, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but afterwards, I'm I'm thinking a three point oh. The, the temptation is to go a little bit higher, maybe a three point two five, but I don't want to get crazy. So I'm gonna stick with a three point oh. I, I think it's a little bit better than than just basically good. I think it's again entertaining. It's the kind of movie I would watch again. I don't. I didn't love it. I don't think it's the greatest thing since whatever. It's not a new Alien, but it's definitely entertaining and definitely one that I'd recommend other people and that I would watch again. Three point 
I'm gonna I'm gonna sit with you um, on the 3.0. For me, a completely arbitrary thing, but 3.5 feels like a movie that you could recommend without any kind of reservations. Uh-huh. And I feel like life just isn't that. I'd probably have to throw in a few qualifiers. Well, if you like the cast or if you like science right, fiction, right. or like so, it's there's enough there for me to just not be able to give it my enthusiastic recommendation. But it was still an entertaining time at the theater. Um, you know, I didn't have any. I, I don't. I don't think that it was anything other than time well spent on a Friday night. So three <laughs> sounds right to me. Perfect. Rob, any last any last observations or comments about life before we wrap it up? Uh, no, just definitely go see it. Support the movie. It's uh, it's one. It's a genre movie, and studios don't often make those, let alone ones that cost you know millions and millions of dollars. So support it. Enjoy it. You you won't be disappointed. It's fun time. And, uh, you know, choose life. Choose life. Choose to wake up Calvin the Alien and have him massacre your entire crew. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all for listening. Uh, if you want to subscribe to this on iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcast app of choice, you can search for One Perfect Pod. Uh, you can also follow One Perfect Shot and One Perfect Pod on Twitter at those two handles. Leave us a review or rating on iTunes. Let us know how we're doing. We really appreciate that feedback. And if you have any questions or concerns or comments about myself or Rob, you can email at pod at filmschoolrejects.com. You're not actually going to be able to see Rob on the show for a while. He's uh, He was kind enough to help kick things off correct, and then he's going to take a little bit of a break. We're going to bring in some more film critics starting next week with Candace Frederick of Real Talk Online. But, Rob, if they want to follow you because they like you better than me, how do they get a hold of you? Well, I, I doubt that would be the case. But if they wanted to follow my, my thoughts on films uh, via Twitter, it would be fake Rob Hunter. Follow Fig Rob Hunter. He is Film School Rejects expert when it comes to all things genre, and you tend to review the stuff that people that watch life would be into. So, Fig Rob Hunter, and I am Lab Splice, L-A-B-S-P-L-I-C-E. I think that I think I spelled that correctly. Um, be sure to follow us, and do please you know, keep listening. We'll be back next week with an episode about... Oh, what are we talking about next week? I'm talking about Ghost in the Shell. That should be a fun one. Rob, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you.